0: Action Network Podcast. Podcast. If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. It's your UFC betting preview. UFC Vegas 74 is this weekend. Just a quick aside. It's not really an aside. It's just, I find, and you maybe both of you agree, you don't do this show for one week and then you, you gum pack into it. There was no event last week and you're like, i'm not the kid back on the with the training wheels on the bike i'm like holy crap i feel like i haven't talked about ufc in like a month and a half so um i don't know sorry just i couldn't help myself i'm like we took one week off and it feels like forever ago yeah. we talked to talk to each other so how you dive back in though and stay and stay sharp um i envy that so thank you both for doing that anyway um just couldn't help myself had to go there because we weren't here last week so well, it's good to talk to you all again. UFC Vegas 74 this weekend from the UFC Apex Center in Las Vegas. Uh, we've got 13 fights on the card. There's been some cancellations, some moving around, so uh, we'll, we'll do our best here to navigate. Uh, if you are new to the pod and new to the UFC betting preview shows, it's a good way of setting up people that maybe haven't tuned in before. they missed us last week and we're like, where they? were they? Uh, we talk underdogs, props, uh, best bets, our final bets, as we'd like to call them, because every bet is a best bet. Uh, and then we preview the, the guy's fight of the night, and we also dive into the main event, which is how we will start our podcast today. Hi, Cara France, Amir Al-Bazi. Uh, this is a very tight line here, Zarrillo, up at FanDuel. Um, uh, Cara France at minus 110, both fighters at minus 110, uh, over at FanDuel Sportsbook. As I normally ask you, uh, how do you just assess the fight in general, and then how would you like to bet the fight?
1: Striker versus grappler, Kai Kara France, the striker, Amir Albazi, the better grappler. And in an even money fight, if the finishing upside I think is relatively the same on both sides, I'm always going to take the grappler because the grappler has more of a chance of winning rounds in a dominant fashion. The upside for Kara France here either landing a knockout or edging rounds with striking volume as Albazi tries to grapple him. But if Albazi is winning rounds, it's probably happening with dominant top position and control, threatening submissions, or finishing the fight. Uh, I think Albazi's striking is getting a little bit underrated here, and I think the striking may actually be closer than the grappling is, which is a big advantage for Elbazi, if that is true. The only similar matchup we've seen for Car France, similar to Amir Albazi, is Rogerio Bontarin. He was in some very deep, Submission threats had his back taken in the first round. I believe he was also wobbled in that first round. Bontering eventually, eventually tired. Car France finished him. I'm curious to see how the cardio dynamics play out here if this fight does extend. Because Car France really hasn't been in many fights that are super high paced. That was the one that he really was in. And he ended up outlasting his opponent. But I don't necessarily think he's got a big cardio advantage, if a cardio advantage at all in this matchup. I think these two fighters are relatively close in terms of their ability to win the fight. And that's what the betting market tick takes. But just in terms of a betting philosophy standpoint, how I'm always going to play this type of a matchup, even money fight, finishing upside the same on each side. Grappler has more upside to win in dominant fashion. So Abazi at minus 110, but I also like the fight to end inside the distance at around minus 135 see it as pretty binary with the striker versus grappler. And I think there's a chance that one of them is completely gassing out down the stretch of a high pace fight. So 25 minutes a long time for these flyweights. We actually see the flyweight fights finish at a higher rate than the bantamweight fights or the featherweight fights. There's something about the 125-pound division and the speed there that just leads to more finishes than it does to the weight classes, like slightly above them that are still the smaller classes. So, Albazi and the fight to end inside the distance. I don't think I'm betting him to end in, win inside the distance. I'm probably going to play them separate and hope we push it worse.
0: Billy Albazi has been sort of flying under the radar in his class, uh, averaging. About two and a half takedowns per minute. He's connecting on half of his attempts, as Zarillo mentioned. Uh, he, he's got some edges there on Albazi t- so he can no longer be slept on. Also, I should mention, Billy Ward's got a, a write-up at ActionNetwork.com. Uh, UFC luck ratings. So during the football season, you might see luck ratings from uh, our, our friend Sean I'm um, Sean Zarillo, he's right here. Sean Kerner, excuse me. See, riding the bike, uh, Sean Kerner and Nick Giffen uh, during the football season. Very similar. Uh, Billy kind of breaks it down and he looks at the lines and sees if there's value, undervalued, overvalued, et cetera. Uh, anyway, hi, Billy. Uh, best bet for the main event.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. Sean brought up a lot of stuff I want to get to, and I don't really disagree with any of it. I'll start by saying this is the style of fight that I hate handicapping the most because it's a guy who's been really, really dominant against lower level competition fighting a guy who has a less impressive record, but he's only ever lost to the best of the best. You know, Cara has three UFC losses, two were to the current champion, Brandon Moreno. One was to Brandon Royval, who I think is easily top three, if not top five in the division. So it makes it tough because we haven't seen Albazi do it against guys like that. Doesn't mean he can't. Um, one thing I do want to say as far as the cardio, I'm not sure that Car France has better cardio than Albazi in like a, let's have him run a marathon standpoint. But, and I've said this on the podcast before, wrestling for 25 minutes is so much harder than trying to box or punch a guy for 25 minutes. You know, there's a reason boxing championship matches are 36 minutes and Olympic wrestling matches are like eight. So I think the cardio and the late round equity is actually a little bit more on Car France's standpoint. It's just easier to defend takedowns and punch than it is to constantly hunt them. He also has 80 something percent takedown defense in the UFC, which is real solid you know, I was really impressed. Sean mentioned the fight against and being similar. I thought the fight with Askar Askarov was kind of a similar setup with Askarov wanting to take Kara France down. Did a really good job for the most part defending takedowns and also getting back up when he does get taken down. Sometimes that's more important, especially with these flyweights. And there's a fight we're going to talk about for fight of the night where that's a big angle. So I think Kara France will get taken down at some point here. I'm not sure that he'll get held down. And, you know, Sean brought up real good points about Car France's best chance being, you know, landed some big strikes. So with that said, you know, he's plus 450 by knockout. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be a lot closer to his money line. I'm with Sean. I think Albazi is going to win minutes here unless the judges really, really reward Car France for the striking. The technical striking... Another one, Sean said, I don't think they're that far apart in technical striking. You know, their abilities and their technique, pretty close. But Car France has so much more power. He has crazy power for a flyweight. I think his knockdown rate is above the UFC average for any weight class, despite being the smallest men's weight class out there. So this is more of a play. I just think this one should be a lot closer to the money line. Probably going to be my prop squad pick
1: this week, but plus 450 on the knockout line is just a little bit too long for a guy with that kind of power. I don't even know if it is his power. It's like his hand speed. He just, he seems to get his hands to the target so quickly and accurately. It almost like surprises his opponents. Yeah. Like it, maybe it is a power thing, but it, it almost seems to be more a byproduct of like how quick his hands are in it. It almost like surprises people. So yeah, he's a fun fighter to watch. This is an interesting fight, but this whole card is very difficult for betting and the main event specifically.
2: I used to say it frequently on this podcast and I've tried to get away from it, but this is one I'm way more interested in watching than betting. I love I the flyweights, like yeah. I, I well, I also said the opposite on occasion with some of these some of these sloppy heavyweight fights or whatever. say, yeah, I'm betting this one, but probably won't watch it. So a little bit of there's both directions there.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, you have said that too. Okay, you're fair, you're being consistent, kinda. Um, so we'll see. Cara France and the uh takedown defense if that can prevail, or as uh, the guys kind of laid out the angles on Al Okay. There's your main event breakdown. Moving on to underdogs we like. So I feel like times that we we do this podcast and you guys like betting UFC cards, the, the dogs are, are barking. Dogs are, are, there's value in underdogs. Are, is this a good week for dogs, Sean Zarillo?
1: I had to kind of force one here. There's a lot of fighters I like closer to even money, minus 110 to minus 130. Uh, finding an underdog that I actually liked on this card was a bit more difficult, but I'm going with Daniel Pineda in the co-main event against Alex Caceres is at a size discrepancy here. He's three inches shorter at a four inch reach disadvantage, but he hits harder. He's the better submission grappler. And I think he's going to win the early minutes. I think Caceres finds his best success late in this fight with a cardio advantage with the link, maybe jabbing Pineda up. But in the first two rounds specifically, I think Pineda hits harder. I think Pineda is more likely to finish the fight, whereas Caceres kind of needs to outpoint him over the course of 15 minutes. I give Pineda drastically more finishing upside. So getting that finishing upside at plus 155, getting potentially the better grappler, the better wrestler at plus 155, Caceres can absolutely outpoint him over the course of 15 minutes. He's a great point fighter, but this is a very competitive fight specifically for the first two rounds, so... Just a three-round fight, just need Panetta to win two of them, and I think he can finish it early on as well. So Panetta plus 155, I think a solid bet. I'll probably take a look at his inside-the-distance props as well, just because I give more decision equity to Caceres. Billy, an underdog
0: that you see um, some value.
2: Yeah, first of all, totally agree with Sean. I think one of the reasons I'm down on betting this card in general is because I don't like to lay juice in MMA, but... There's a lot of those, you know, narrow favorites that I think are the sweet spot here. There's one that I kind of like. I'm not huge on it, but it just kind of doesn't make sense where the line is right now. And that's Johnny Munoz. His fight against Daniel Santos was supposed to happen about a month ago. It got rebooked to this card. The reason it got rebooked was because of some Daniel Santos injury. Not disclosed what it was. Obviously, it has to be somewhat minor. But whatever it was that forced him to cancel that fight, you would think would have at least kept him out of training for a week or two. Might still be lingering. Might be less than 100%. Despite that, Munoz closed when that fight was canceled. He was like plus 150, plus 155 range when that one was canceled. You can get him for plus 180 now. I just don't understand why if the other fighter got injured, the lines move towards the other fighter. I think Santos is a better fighter. I think if we throw all that out, he probably should win this one. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that we're getting better odds on him now after his opponent got hurt than we got originally. So plus 180, not going to be a huge bet for me, but just kind of playing the markets and the math here doesn't add up.
1: Enjoy that sweat. Daniel Santos is like the liquid Terminator. That guy just does not go away. We'll get to John Castaneda in a minute, but that was that was one of my most painful MMA losses ever because Santos was out like three times in the first round and just refused to stop. So, yeah, Daniel Santos is a, a tough out. I, I've been huge on him since he got
2: to the UFC. I think I've bet him in every one of his fights, and I was very prepared to do so again, but I saw the
1: line and it just, why, why are we getting that. worse odds on him? When he's the one that got hurt, doesn't make. Yeah, sense. no, you you know, as soon as you brought up the fight and the fact that it was rebooked, I knew exactly where you were going, and I pulled up best fight odds. Yeah, he closed minus one eighty five before that last fight was canceled. Now he's minus two thirty. So yeah, I don't really get the line movement. You know, if we if you believe that markets are efficient, why is there a fifty cent adjustment when that guy was hurt?
0: Okay, the fight of the night that we are previewing. Uh, looking at the Fanduel Sportsbook, we got Tim Elliott, Victor. Altamirano uh going head to head on the main card. Elliot minus 188 and uh Victor's at plus one fifty-two. How do we uh want to bet this one, Sean?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Tim Elliott here, uh, mostly because of the takedowns and the fact that Victor Altamirano's kryptonite seems to be getting taken down and getting put on his back. He has good defensive jujitsu, he's a good fighter overall, but he just can't stop himself from getting taken down. And Tim Elliott has made a career out of taking on these rising prospects uh, and turning them away. He is a great gatekeeper. And anybody who's not like a legitimate top 10, top 15 talent are usually pretty easy matchups for Tim. The problem is he's dealing with a lot of stuff outside of the cage here. Not to get fully into it, but uh he's basically said that he's going for a finish and that he wants the mic he's normally a great point fighter and he's been very clear about the fact that he wants a finish in this fight and carlos altamirano has never been knocked out i believe he was knocked down in the usc but he's never been knocked out he seems pretty durable and tim elliott is not some big power puncher he's the kind of guy who needs to take you down advanced positions and then get a submission so normally i don't put much stock into these guys talking stuff leading into a fight about how they plan to win Etc., But I actually do believe Tim Elliott. I I'm of the mind that he's going to stand and bang and try to get a knockout against the guy who's very difficult to knock out. So I would consider betting the under here, the fight to end inside the distance, uh, Elliot, not the most durable guy himself. And I, you know, if he does get the fight to the mat, I think he can finish it. But if this was a normal fight and I knew nothing about what was going on outside of the cage and was just handicapping them based on what we've seen in the octagon, I think the takedowns and Elliot's ability to get the takedowns for 15 minutes and consolidate position is enough to justify him as the favorite. Am I willing to lay it at minus 180, minus 170? Maybe not so much. Uh, It's he's probably closer to 60, 65 percent somewhere in there. So there's not really a big edge of any edge at all. I don't think in the line, but I do justify. I can justify why he's the favorite. I just I need to point out that it's very likely that he's not going to fight like he normally does.
0: Billy, any value in, in the underdog in Altamirano or is the favorite the right side?
2: So I've since this fight was announced, I've been convinced I was going to bet Tim Elliott, thought he should be a bigger favorite. And I stayed up late last night watching tape on both these guys. And I've talked myself into Victor Altamirano. So to get to some of Sean's points, Altamirano is actually a very good wrestler. I, he might even be a better wrestler than Tim Elliott, but he gets taken all down all the time because he does a bunch of dumb spinning Taekwondo stuff and turns his back and gets taken down. The reason I'm not as worried about that is I watched a ton of Tim Elliott tape. He is horrible at holding people down. He's great at getting you down, but he's not great at control time. You know, flyweights, that's kind of the case in general, but it was impressive how quickly his opponents were all able to get back up. And I think that's a problem, especially with the way we judge fights now, where you don't get any points for those takedowns. It's only what you do after. Altamirano, on the other hand, I was very impressed with his ability to score a takedown, stay safe and not get submitted because his jujitsu jitsu is not great but do just enough damage where he's winning minutes, winning rounds. The striking is going to be absolutely wild here. You know, Tim Elliott comes out and hops around on one leg while throwing kicks at you. Altamirano's spinning all over the place. Going to be just an awesome fight to watch if you love really weird stuff all the time. But yeah, I've I've talked myself into it based on what I see with the grappling. Altamirano does get taken down a lot. He gets right back up. You know, Elliott gets takedowns, doesn't hold position well because he's looking for crazy submissions and jumping all over the place, which gives a lot of openings. So I think both guys are going to get a ton of takedowns. If you're a DFS guy, which we haven't talked about, you can definitely play both of these fighters because there's just going to be so many takedown points scored. But given the odds and given the way I see the grappling, the striking is just too close to call because they're both such weird mobiles. But given the way I see the grappling, I like Altamirano at the odds. I see Sean's point about inside the distance. I'm not convinced. I don't think either of them have big power. But, you know, Sean's playing the, the narrative outside of the cage, which matters especially in individual sports but not something i'm willing to necessarily bet on so ultramarano plus money again not a huge bet for me don't love a ton of underdogs here but i've I've talked myself into it
1: i think it's more just a fight that's difficult to get a read on i'd rather play plus 180 and root for the insanity than bet minus 180 and Hope Tim Elliott doesn't get, go insane and get knocked out. So yeah, it, it's just a pricing thing, and I honestly don't even know if I'm betting on this fight. But in terms of the one I'm most interested to watch, the post fight interview, I'm potentially most looking forward to. Yeah, it's Tim Elliott. Huh.
2: Everyone should just go Google Tim Elliott or Tim Elliott Twitter or whatever. The tweets have been deleted, but it's it's quite the ride.
0: You can still find them somewhere. I'm sure. That's I'm the sure. Screen the screenshots. Moving on to top props for UFC 74 uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Zorillo, you do have a prop that is featured on the main card. What do you have?
1: Yeah, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos to win inside the distance uh, against Abubakar Nurmagomedov. We're trying to take down the the Nurmagomedov clan. He is like the ugly stepchild, ugly duckling of the Nurmagomedov family in terms of his fighting skill. uh, This guy is just... Nowhere near as legitimate as the other guys with the Irma name. And I think Zaleski Dos Santos, aside from the layoff, is clearly the better fighter. The problem is he hasn't fought since October 2021 when he beat the brakes off of Benoit Saint-Denis. Zaleski has actually fought multiple guys in a row who are extremely durable. And I think if he had fought lesser opponents or guys with lesser chins, he would have more finishes on his record. Even Saint-Denis, who... That fight should have been stopped multiple times. He's actually followed up that loss with two finishes of his own. So that win is aged even better for Zaleski. He's the much better striker in this matchup. He does do some dumb spinning stuff, which is going to get him taken down at some point, but he has pretty good takedown defense, pretty good scrambling ability. And I just think he hits extremely hard for the division. And his lack of finishes in recent fight is more of a byproduct of his opponent's durability that it is his lack of ability to finish or hit hard. So I don't consider Nurmagomedov a particularly durable fighter, especially compared to the guys he's faced recently. I think Zaleski has a massive striking advantage. If he doesn't get taken down, if he keeps us on the feet, I absolutely think he can find the knockout. So two to one to win inside the distance. Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, Capoeira. Hopefully he pulls off cool spinning technique and gets us a knockout.
0: Do you give uh, Zaleski the edge, too, just to win the fight? He's at minus 106 uh, over at FanDuel.
1: Now, again, like even money striker versus grappler, I'd probably lean to the grappler on the money line just for pure minute winning ability. Zaleski gets in a lot of close decisions because he's not very high volume. He'll throw cool stuff, but he won't do it that often. So if you know he gets taken down once, gets hit a couple of times, but he throws like two spinning kicks. You have one judge scoring it one way, one judge scoring it another way, and the third is a toss-up. Uh, it's it's If it goes 15, it's going to be a split decision probably. So I'd rather take his finish props.
0: Okay, and Billy's prompt is on the prelim card. What do you have?
2: Real quick, uh love that Sean mentioned that Easy Dos Santos' nickname is Capoeira because it's just hilarious that his nickname is a different sport than the one he does. That's his love- style though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but it'd be like if LeBron James' nickname was football. You know, like LeBron football, James. Like, what are we doing here? But Dunker. anyway, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is another one of those rebooked fights. It's Jamie Malarkey. He was originally supposed to have a really tough fight against Guram Uh Kutaladze pulled out. We've got some regional guy who's very not good stepping in. Not even going to try the name.
0: Very not good.
2: malarkey is the heaviest favorite on the card but his inside the distance line is still only minus 125 i think if you're jamie malarkey and you've got some guy who's not ufc caliber he was just the only one around willing to step up on four days notice uh his opponent is usually a featherweight stepping up to lightweight because he can't make weight in time just the whole thing we're getting minus 125 on inside the distance i think if you're malarkey you try to get this one done early don't take any chances don't let anything crazy happen The only other thing I'm looking at in this fight is FanDuel hasn't posted those like double round bets that I like so much. If you can get the round one, round two prop, it even better than the minus 125 inside the distance, I'd probably hold out for that. You'd think if inside the distance is minus 125, first two rounds will probably be even money or better. So don't love it, but like, I just just don't know why there's such a difference between that and his money line odds.
1: I considered actually putting Malarkey round two, round three here. Uh, He is a guy who consistently... Puts a pace on opponents, finishes in round two, attritional damage, wears them down physically. So yeah, I think his fighting style lends itself to a lot of round two finishes. And I think round two is a nice sweet spot. Uh, Just, you know, got to mention, he went from a plus 265 underdog to a minus 400 favorite after the rebooking. So he's going to be the most heavily owned fighter, I would imagine. Um, But yeah, second round finish, I think it's a nice sweet spot. Same game parlay over half a round maybe as well. Something like that. Malarkey is minus four eighty
0: at uh, Fanduel. To Billy's point about being the biggest uh, favorite on. And the, there's,
2: card. since we're getting to it a little bit, two of the bigger underdogs are now heavy favorites thanks to opponents pulling out. Mm-hmm. But for the DFS people, those salaries remain fixed, so it's going to be a really weird chalky week with two extremely cheap fighters who are heavy favorites
1: now do you do you try to like be different than the crowd and go against those two billy when that when something like that happens or do you just you use them and try to hit on the other fighters that are in the lineup
2: i do a lot of cash games so this is one of those weeks where like i think the optimal lineup is pretty obvious in cash games and Mm -hmm. i think you just play that and hope enough people don't that you you know edge out a little bit of profit for tournaments though you absolutely have to i don't think you can play both malarkey and jim miller and expect to not have the same lineup as everyone else. So yeah, maybe you go against both, honestly, and just be completely different. Or, you know, multiple lineups with one or the other. But mm-hmm. I, I hate this kind of week for DFS, just because it seems like the answer is so obvious that it's hard
1: to get unique in that. And I just I got a shout out our Action Lab tools because I use it to build my DFS lineups every week. It's very easy to build rules where you can go, you know, only include one of Jim Miller or Malarkey you know, include both, don't include either. It's very easy to build rules and build custom lineups. So I just want to shout out our tools. It's one of the things that I use on a weekly basis and it helps me build, you know, 25 DSF, DFS lineups in five minutes, 10 minutes.
2: While we're on the topic, I actually did a tutorial on using the Optimizer over on the Fantasy Lab YouTube, if anyone
1: needs to check it out. Oh, yeah, it's nice. a, It's a free tool. So take advantage yeah. for, you know, if you're playing every week, it's completely free.
0: Yes, it's free. It's not. It's included in the free app. You don't need to have the pro subscription to mm-hmm. access the the tools section. So, uh, good call out there. Before we wrap, uh, let's get our final bet, our best bet for UFC Vegas seventy four. Zerillo has a money line play. What do you got?
1: Yeah, going with John Castaneda. He was my best bet when he fought Daniel Willie Cat Santos and should have won that fight probably in the first round a couple times. But Daniel Santos is the liquid terminator, and he does not fucking go away and it is so annoying <laughs> but this fight against uh moving i think is a solid matchup for castaneda Gafarov coming in here on short notice a guy who typically slows down in his fights even when he is a full camp has missed weight in the past missed weight on his contender series fight the guy he lost to on contender series has since been cut by the ufc i think first round is going to be competitive and i think castaneda takes over to a pretty significant degree in rounds two and rounds three. I think this is also another type of fight that I've talked about in recent weeks where Gafarov may get takedowns, but he's not going to do much with it. He's not going to land much damage. He may have control time, but if they're on the feet for a minute, Castaneda may may land more strikes in a round. So not only the cardio advantage, but also the damage advantage, I think favors Castaneda in terms of minute winning. So Castaneda minus 135 pre-fight live after round one. I'd also search for something minus 200 or better as well, assuming it's a close round, something he maybe edges, or you know, even if the line moves in his direction, after a close round, I think uh, it's something I'd still be willing to jump in on the cardio advantage.
0: All right, and Billy, your best bet is featured in your luck ratings write-up. You see value in Dante Mays.
2: Yeah, little callback to earlier in the podcast where I said there's sloppy heavyweight fights that I'm happy to bet but don't especially want to watch. Here we are. Dontel Mays is fighting Andre Arlovsky, who's been in the UFC since like 1972 or something. Um, I'm not sure why this line is so close. Arlovsky is a million years old. But other than just, you know, wanting to fade the older guy who I can't believe this. He hasn't announced a retirement before this or any of his last five fights. Arlovsky was finished in his last fight. Before that, two real close split decision wins. Kind of don't think either of those should have gone his way. The bigger factor here, though, is Mays is undefeated in the UFC slash contender series unless his opponent takes him down at least two times in a fight. Mays is a good offensive grappler, but like a lot of wrestlers, if you put him on his back, he's absolutely hopeless, and he's a good striker. He's probably a worse technical striker than Arlovski, but he's legitimately 14 years younger, so going to have a lot of speed and athleticism there. But, you know, unless you take him down, he does pretty well. Arlovski hasn't landed a takedown in any of his last 11 fights, so... He's obviously not going to try to take anyone down. Maze is about three inches, probably in the cage, 30 or 40 pounds heavier, which makes takedowns even harder. So not just fade in the old guy, but there's actually some logic and stats here. This line has moved a little bit towards Maze throughout the week. You know, I think you could get him minus 115, minus 120 earlier, but minus 130 is still fine. I'd probably play him to about minus 150 before it scared me off.
1: Not sure if you mentioned he also has a four-inch reach advantage. Um, so, you know, that should make up for the, some of the technical differential footwork differential, uh, Tata may is just so tough to trust as a favorite, like unbelievably untrustworthy. Uh, yeah, I, hasn't gotten to finish in more than 20 fights though. So, you know, Arlovsky's upside in any fight is close split decision, competitive (laughs) split decision, competitive decision, win, 29, 28 win. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't blame you for betting Mays, but he's just not a guy I could back It Juice. He we can't. all
2: got burned on him last time against Hamdi, but Hamdi failed his drug test for PEDs. I'm going to pretend that was the only reason Mays lost, and had the other guy not cheated, we would have all cashed that.
1: So he, he lost to Sakai as well, uh, but yeah, I, and Sakai, Sakai got Sakai cut too. Win. That was very weird. Sakai coming off the four straight losses gets a win and then gets cut. So UFC, very exciting, cutting half the roster. Prelims
0: start at 6 Eastern over on ESPN+. Plus. Main card gets underway at 9. I won't be able to tell you what fights Zerillo and or Billy will actually be watching. Uh, or what they may be watching, but not betting. So, uh, ugly card this week. But we, we found a way to get through. And we're back on the bike with training wheels coming off, hopefully. You got a
1: nice pay-per-view next week. A couple of title fights. Go. Looking Beautiful. forward to it.
0: ease he, our way back in. Uh, For Billy Ward, Sean Zarillo, Brendan Glassheen, download the Action Network app. If these guys add anything else to their cards, you can find them in the app individually. We will be back next week. We're back in the mix. Our UFC betting previews here on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. You all have a great weekend.
1: Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly.